right, riddle me this, Kev. What's one of the first upgrades you should do to your vehicle? What is it? What do you go for? Well, you might think power, but ultimately, from a smart and safe perspective, definitely the brakes. Yeah, no doubt. Upgraded braking systems can really transform a vehicle's performance and honestly give you better peace of mind behind the wheel in any situation. You know, from the track to off-road trails, even the morning commute, every single vehicle deserves performance brakes at an affordable price. And no matter what your vehicle or driving style, PowerStop has complete brake upgrade kits for you. So head to PowerStop.com, fill in your vehicle's information into their easy-to-use brake finder to be matched with complete kits and components that are low-dust, noise-free, and feature upgraded stopping power. That's right. You could join the thousands of other drivers that have already transformed their vehicle into a stopping powerhouse today with PowerStop. PowerStop.com, brake upgrades made easy. It is the Two Guys Garage Podcast. He is Kevin Bird. I am Willie B. And fired up for this week's podcast because we have one of our longtime buddies on with us. And man, this guy knows everything about welding. I mean, everything. People, you know, people can brag, boast, and talk about, you know, I know a lot about welding. Yeah, but you don't know everything. This guy does. (laughs) (laughs) You ain't lying. Man, Man. you know, there's one thing about welding where... There's just a lot of technique. And if you do what sure. someone tells you, like hold it this way, you know, move it this slow, keep your thing tight, you know, it's going to work. Typically, 99 out of 100 times, you're going to weld really good, you know? Yep. Uh, but there's a whole lot behind welding. There's science behind welding. There's engineering behind welding. Uh, and you don't have to know all of that, right? It's in the box. You buy the box. It's got some knobs on it. Great. You know how to set those mm-hmm. knobs? You're probably pretty good. But, man, it sure helps to know sometimes that science behind it. Uh, the details behind it and blend it with, you know, in this case, 49 years of welding experience. And that's what we're talking about. This guy knows everything. Yeah, man. Like, honest to God, when when you're thinking about welding metals, right, in, in material and how to shape form, get something to adhere, you know, a lot of people can can talk the talk, but this guy can tell you exactly, you know, games of prep work and you know, tricks to help you uh, help that end product, man, look so much better than if you hadn't listened to his advice and, you know, kind of adhered to some of the knowledge that, that he's just given and providing to, to your current project. He really is a just a wealthy resource to have in the back pocket. And, uh, and he's just a fun guy to begin with, which we like, obviously, as well. So it's going to be awesome for us, man, to talk to our boy Bob about welding, because both you and I have done a lot of welding. We don't get to do as much on the show as we would like, but really, man, it you know it separates the men and the boys. Oh, absolutely, absolutely, and it's something that we, you know, you and I both have a passion for. We we love it as much as we can get, you know, whether it's on the show, whether it's in our own shop. Uh, if I can get metal, you know, hot and boiling and fusing right. together and throwing chips around, man, I'm a happy camper. I'm having a great day. Uh, but man, when you run into to a, a, a problem, an issue, um, oh, you can be frustrating. You're like, what is going on? Because you're striving for perfection, you know? Uh, so when you stumble on, on a, any kind of, you know, road bump in there, it just, oh man. But my go-to guy is always Bob, you know, Hey, why is this, you know, why am I seeing blue in the color and you know, what's in the metal? And so he can dive into the chemistry uh, you know, the different gases and what it means for penetration. And, you know, again, there's 
there's hobbyists and guys that are welding, uh, you know, fenders on and things like that. And then there's industrial stuff where, man, you've got some serious regulations and x-rays and you name it, production type stuff. And, and Bob has been around all those things. He's been at ESOP for 35 years, retired, still contracting in for another six years. So, I mean, just add that up, right? One of the biggest welding corporations in the world, uh, ESOP, you know, how much you're going to see behind the scenes on, on how the machines are designed and built, what goes in them, the technology into them. You know, we've migrated the last 40 years in welders, right, into inverter styles and everything else, right? Yeah, uh, the, the technology I'm sure Bob has witnessed over the years that he's been doing this is, God, he's got to sit back and look at how it was once done compared to how it's done nowadays and be in just shock because technology has really given a lot of people the opportunity to branch out into welding, to find something that fits them in the world of fabrication, whether it's art and welding or, you know, you're building rudimentary, you know, mechanisms, A, Bs, and Cs, you know, you're just blocking it together. Whatever end of the spectrum, Bob, I'm sure, has seen that that knowledge come in and, and, and go to something drastically different than what it was, you know, decades ago, which I, I'm anxious to pick his brain about because... Boy, he's a great resource. If you're having problems, pay attention to this. If you have questions, pay attention to this because inadvertently he's going to answer everything you need to know about welding. That's how smart this guy is, man. He can answer questions you're not even asking him. I promise you, y'all going to find this out in just a minute. Let's take a break. We'll come back. Our boy Bob. It's all about torching uh, some metal today. Molten steel, buddy. We love it. It's the Two Guys Garage Podcast. Kevin Bird, Willie B, and we're back in just a minute. It is the Two Guys Garage Podcast. He is Kevin Bird. I am Willie B. And man, we are fired up. Our boy Bob joins the podcast. Bob, how you been, my man? I've been great. Busy as can be. A lot of projects. That's what they say about retirement, man. You get busier. Is that true? That's absolutely true. Way busier. Still have your little red pick-em-up truck? Got my red pick-em-up truck. Got my 53 Chevy pick-em-up truck. And I got a 36 Ford pick-em-up truck. That's right, man. That that'll keep you busy. Let alone, there's a couple grandkids rolling around in here too, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Three grandkids. I got a 19 year old in the latest uh, four months. So have wow. you taught the, the youngest one how to weld yet? Not yet. <laughs> Not yet. But the other two? Oh yes. Yeah, man. So, hey, Bob. You know, kind of the intro. We were talking a little bit just what you've seen, witnessed, experienced over the years of welding. And, you know, most of us cut our teeth on, you know, on an old, an old machine. You know, I, I remember the first machine I had, the, an old secret wave, um, you know, and you had to pedal it in and kind of throttle the metal into it and just learning the ins and outs of, of that, you know, compared to some MIG welding and so forth. Man, is it is it changed and become much more adaptive for for anybody to really pick up a torch grab a welder grab some equipment and a machine and and really go to town at it what would you say from a macro level is some of the craziest evolutions of welding that we're witnessing now compared to you know years ago because you have such a cool spectrum on it i'm sure it's way different mostly ac tig if you look at the mig and the flux cores they're kind of the same a lot of the equipment is a lot easier to use which is not always a good thing. 
Right. <laughs> now a lot of people pick it up and think, oh, yeah, I can just do this. And they'll go in there and they'll try, and they don't really have the basics to use a machine yet. So sometimes it'll get them in trouble. But the biggest thing that really hit us was ACT. Because you got yeah. square wave machines now that you have to take your brain out of your head if you're an old school welder. Turn it 180 degrees around. Because I'm going to tell you <laughs> that, you know, all the rules changed. Yeah, it absolutely changed because of the way of the wave shape of the AC. So this is a, a, a just a crazy change, way more clean. We're going to get into that in just a second, but I don't want to. I don't want to pass over what you said a minute ago, and that is the basics. Some people just don't understand the basics. So, what are some of those basics that you're referring to, and how do people get a little bit more comfortable in some of those basics that you reference? Well, the basics, if, if we're taking uh, MIG welding, wire welding, shielded uh, metal arc welding, gas metal arc welding, there's a certain science to it, as, as Kevin and you said. You have to know a few key things. And what I run into most, people go out, buy a welding machine, come home, plug it in, and somebody told them, you don't need gas. <laughs> they put a flux cord wire on there. And what do they jump to? Sheet metal. Now, this is the worst combination in the world. If you had a flux cord wire, you jumped over to a piece of quarter inch, okay, you're, you're good to go. But you're not welding sheet metal with this. And what it was, it went on the cheap. You're going to do this, expect to send, spend some money, go up and look at, you know, I don't want to say YouTube videos in a way, but yes. But make sure you go to select ones, especially the manufacturer, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Aesop, Lincoln, Miller, because there's a lot of bad information out there. But there's one key thing. You're going to make weld. You got to know what wire feed speed does, and you got to know what the bolts do. And most people get it backwards. It is a little bit confusing. Um, I, I will say, you know, um, there's some times where I got to stop for a minute, you know, because I don't do as much wire anymore. I do a lot more TIG. You know, I have to stop and think about it. Right. And what I'm what's going on. So if you could, you know, explain to somebody real quick the fundamentals between that wire speed and then you got amperage and then you got voltage. So how are you turning all those three knobs? There you go. So first thing you got to understand, I, I need heat to melt metal. In welding, about one ampere for every thousandth of metal thickness. And that's 100 percent penetration weld. If I'm welding 080, I need 80 amps. If I'm welding one inch plate to get through it, one pass, I need about a thousand amps. People like look at you like you're dead. But the rule kind of fits. First, understand the heat you need, the amps, what it relates to. And then you go back and look what controls amps in a MIG set. Wire speed. So you take the wire speed, match it to your thickness. Now you go back and adjust the volts. And I've worked with guys in the shipyard. I've worked on guy, in guys that were on a nav C committees who are the, the gurus. And they didn't quite get some of this. And that's pretty crazy. So it's not only the, the new guys and the newbies. Industry in general doesn't really have some of the real basics why they stopped teaching it in school yeah so hey that was my life 
Well, there's a lot of yeah, there's a lot of hand-me-down, right? There's a lot of hand-me-down knowledge. Tribal yeah. knowledge. And sometimes that's great. There's a lot to be gained. But, you know, a lot of times it can just skew off one way or the other and it can leave you, right, hanging and in the wrong space. Uh, and, and so, yeah, a lot of people get on. And I'm sure there's a lot of people think, man, I know how to make weld. What are you guys talking about? It's so simple. I guarantee you there's a lot of folks, you know, if, if they really stopped from this conversation and went back out in their shop and, and kind of follow along some of these steps, they'll go, well, maybe I didn't quite have it right. And I was just getting it good enough. Um, but yeah, like you said, so you got to get that amperage and it's just purely the thickness of the metal. Right. And then how do we walk from there? Because, uh, it starts to make a lot more sense. I think once you've get all the way through and then you get the voltage piece It kind of, for me, it clicks when you talk about bacon. So for all the wire that you feed into the joint set by your wire feed speed knob, I have to burn that wire off. And that's where the voltage comes in. Too little voltage, you're not going to burn it off. It's going to spit, pop. It's going to make little turds on the plate. And I mean, it just makes a mess, right? Get it too high, and then you just get blobs. So what you're after is that bacon frying sound. And you tune it by ear. I'm convinced if I was deaf, I wouldn't be able to tune an arc. Hey, I, that's funny because <laughs> I was going to say some... Some of the guy named Bob Bitsky um, taught me how to tune with my ear and set it with my ear to listen to it. And that's what I tend to rely on more than anything is what that feedback is when I begin that weld and what it sounded like. So, you know, for guys like us who've been taught by people like you, um, that's an essential part of it. The art talks to you. She'll, she'll talk to you. How I always think about it, yeah, Bob, and, and you know, let me know if I'm on the right track, but uh, to me, amperage is heat, right? That's what, you know, makes your wire smoke when you put a little bit too much current through it, you know, you, you let the smoke out. Uh, so the, you know, the amperage is the heat that you're going to use to melt, but the voltage is the ability for the wire as it gets close to the metal to jump the gap. Uh, it's, it's, uh, the voltage is the pressure that makes the current flow. So that wire by nature is feeding fast enough. It's going to actually short circuit to the well pool. But now there has to be enough current in the circuit to pop that clear and burn it back. And that's volts. That's where the volts come in. If I don't have enough electrical pressure, I don't get enough current that she does not burn off. It's kind of like a fuse. You get so much current through the wire, it pops back and Again, the wire feed is too fast, so it pushes it back down. So the noise you hear in the arc, that sizzling bacon, is actually the short circuits taking place. That's the wire short circuiting. And when she's singing, she sounds sweet. But you get her out of tune, <laughs> and she spits and pops, and she throws spatter balls down your back. Right? So, again, you listen. She'll talk to you. She'll tell you exactly what's wrong. I, I walk into shops. That people um, are, I hear it across the shop makes me cringe. I was gonna say you can you can find out you know a lot just by walking up and hearing the weld. I mean, I'm I'm sure you're like listening to it sometimes, and you're like, oh, if you just increase the wire speed, you dumb dumb or something like that. You know, just um, you know, it, it's funny how much you pick up just by tuning in the senses uh, to to what you're doing. That's, that's my life when I traveled in the field. I did that for over 20 years. 
and I'd go into customers and it would be a mess and we tune them up a little bit. And all of a sudden people are going, wow, that's amazing. Yeah, man. I never, never taught. And it, I mean, it, it is like tuning up. Like you can have a car running, you know, carburetor, fuel injection. But, uh, you know, when somebody comes up with the right ear, whatever, the right equipment and just turns the screw in a little bit or just changes the setting, you're like, well, that's running better than it was. <laughs> you know, like it was running, but now it's tuned in nicely now you've sent me videos in the past and to me it helped me visualize what's happening you know you got the weld pool and you think the wire is just going and feeding the weld pool but um you know you can explain it even better because you've been right there with these high-speed cameras uh you know the wire goes either near or into the pool and then it sort of breaks for a second then there's a gap and the wire has to fill that gap again you got all kinds of defects going on, and it undercuts it if you have too low of a wire speed and too high of a voltage, right? You're, you're fighting it. Oh, yes. You're, you'll fight it. It'll be terrible. But people don't quite understand that part of it because you have to control where that weld metal goes. And you have to point the wire and get that weld metal to move in the joint where you want it to. Gravity is going to tell you it's going to come down. Right, going to drip at your feet. So there's a lot of skill in just watching the well pool. But even to go along with the, the visual for the sound, like why am I getting the sound and how do I want that wire as it sort of makes the circuit and contact or into the pool and then melts off, has a little gap and fills back in, is that little pop, 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 that sizzling, right? And if you said, like, if you have too little voltage, you'll hear it just pop, noise. pop, pop, pop. You just want to just that right crackly that right crackly and just crank that voltage up a little bit and a little bit down and try it and i tell you um you know i picked up an esop welder the smart mig years ago and um you know at least the way i understand how the machine works is uh you, you know you get anywhere you get their amperage right and you get anywhere close on the voltage and as you're welding it'll dial in that voltage to give you that right bacon sound and uh man it's just smooth as could be I don't think I could ask for anything more. What that is happening is a lab rat, that's me, sits in a research lab and we plot wire speed and voltage and we get ideal settings. I look at it on a scope. I see that that's about 80 to 100 shorts a second. That's what the ear likes to hear. So with that frequency, I can now go back into the machine and software and program that in so you don't even have to worry about it. You set a wire speed, the machine is actually counting the shorts, adjusts itself. That's, that's so sweet. I tell you, I, I, I've used standard on that machine and set it myself, and I'm like, this is good. This is good. Uh, but, you know, it, it seems like if you're a little cold or a little hot, maybe it just changes a little bit. But if I put it on automatic, uh, you know, I get my amperage right, and I set it on automatic, it is the smoothest, most consistent, bacony sound, uh, clean welds that I don't even have to think about it anymore. I mean, it's almost too easy, like a smartphone, you know. Like, uh, but it's just one little function that just makes that one knob dial in without you having to even consider it. It's kind of handy. <laughs> yeah. I, I really like it. <laughs> well, you're quite welcome. You know, you're quite welcome because I sat in a lab for months and months and months and developed all that data that's in that machine. That was that was my last project <laughs> with ESA. Good job, Bob. No, that was nuts. That was good. That was pretty cool. 
<laughs> yeah, if you get any kind of, you know, in one of these trade shows, industry shows, and, uh, you know, you'll typically see a lot of these welding outfits set up with gear, uh, get on one of their MIGs and, and try that little S MIG, smart MIG function. Uh, try without it. And then you can, you can see the machine will tell you, this is how it should sound. And then as long as you're getting that same kind of sound, you're probably pretty good. So, Bob, give us a couple other common mistakes, some of those basic stuff. Um, you know, bad wire tension, uh, gas flow problems. Give us some of those things that, you know, really sort of affect the finished product uh, before we, you know, turn the conversation to TIG welding. So, I think the biggest thing I see for new beginners is a guy will go out and buy a MIG machine and not really understand what he's buying or why because he thinks he wants to weld. And people, if they don't understand owning a boat, might not get this. But be prepared to spend some money above and beyond what you paid for that machine. If you're going to weld body panels, you want shield gas. You don't want a gasless wire. If you're going to do farm work, a gasless wire is flux score is fine. But you got to do certain things. Now, you got to buy a big enough machine. And that's where people don't get the, the mix right, where I go out and buy a little machine from somebody, and then I go back and I try to weld something, and it won't wet in. We bought a 110 MIG with not enough power, right? So you really have to understand what's, what is your scope? What do you want to do? You want to do everything on a car. I already gave you a relationship. One amp per thousand. So the thickest thing on a car normally that you're going to weld is about an eighth inch to three sixteenths of an inch. So with this, with that, you're going to need about a 200 amp machine. You're not getting away with a little 110 MIG. It's not going to work. If you're hanging body panels, well, then you can do a small machine. You'll do just fine with it. So you got to understand what are you going to do with this machine? Talk to us a little bit about the distance because that seems to play a big role. Oh, too far, yeah. too close. I tend to run sometimes too close, you know, which isn't good either. Talk to us about the the gap, the distances to which you're holding that, uh, you know, that torch, the end of that, while you're still trying to get that bacon sound because that plays such a big role in it. So this is what we call electrical stick out. And when this process was originally developed, Back in 1957, been around that long, it was designed to where you hold that contact tip about three sixteenths of an inch away from the top of that well pool. That's pretty tight. Contact tips actually stuck out of the nozzles. But somehow through the years, these gun manufacturers start to back that up. If you back it up, you introduce resistance. That lowers the current and lowers your output power. So holding a long stick out is bad unless you've got bad fit up and you want to cool the arc off. Most welders know they can back up a little bit and all of a sudden the arc gets soft. Do this for an experiment. Get your machine all set up, push it arc real tight, and you'll hear that arc sizzle. You start to pull it back, all of a sudden start to up, 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 up. You lose all your energy. You want to stay about a half inch off the well pool. Yeah, and, and that way you could, the, the weld still like wets in as opposed to that put, 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 put thing yeah. you're talking. You get, you get all the, the boogers and all this stuff start to fly all over the place. And, 
you know, you could hear something's not happy with the uh, with the machine, with what's going on. You know, but I, I I think that's a common mistake people make is they don't practice, you know, ABCs of welding, always be comfortable in my opinion. Uh, they don't practice that run beforehand and make sure, you know, they got that torch and that guide, you know, like, like you said, you know, half inch or so just off that weld and and that way you're giving it time to sink in, wet in. Uh, and the out, what comes of that is, oh, man, it's so much better than all that fighting if you're an inch, an inch and a half. Well, that's where your that's where your ear can really play in because you're, like you said, you can have the same setting, and as you're welding, whether you're in an uncomfortable position or whatever, you can kind of start to hear like, oh, it's slowing down on me. I must be pulling the gap, right? right? And you can use it either to your advantage to say, well, I, I need to cool down a little bit. I want it to be a little bit hotter. So you can play a little bit around with it, but now you understand how that function works. And that's the science part that I think is so cool. And you can play around with that a little. And just know as you hold stick out back longer and longer, you lose penetration. Again, you might want that. But you can't come back so far, you lose gas coverage. Yeah. So, yeah. so why don't we hit that one on the back yeah. side of this break, man. So we've got, we've got Bob, man, and he knows everything uh, as you can clearly start to see. So we've got a whole nother section coming up after this break. Yeah, and if anybody knows gas coverage, it's my boy Kevin. <laughs> um, so we're looking forward to it. It's the Two Guys Garage Podcast. He is Kevin Bird. I am Willie B. And we're back in just a minute. It is the Two Guys Garage Podcast. He is Kevin Bird. I am Willie B. And we are fired up. Our boy Bob Bisky. He is the man. He's been welding for Man, he's been welding for decades. Just trust us on this. Guy knows everything there is. It's so funny when he comes to your house and he goes, you leave these aluminum rods out? You know that causes oxidation. Did you know the thing on this here aluminum rod is about twice the tip you're going to need to actually burn the aluminum? <laughs> he's like, so you're going to have to do this. You're going to have to do this. You're going to need to do that. Um, it's, he's just a wealth of knowledge. He's a guy that can always make your your welding game, regardless of how long you've been in it, better. Um, and and with that, Bob, uh, hey, thanks for taking the time to uh, to join us here on the podcast. You know, we go from MIG to TIG. And Kevin, did you say you've been doing more TIG stuff? Because I do more MIG stuff now. Um, you know, especially because I, I, I didn't stay at my house for almost a year and a half. So the TIG welder kind of got put up. And TIG welding, to me, is one of those things where it's all about seat time, right? Um, when I stopped doing it, uh, you know, I was pretty much wrapped up on the old, the old wide body charger, uh, as far as metal work went and the rest was aesthetic. So, you know, to me, it's, it's seat time. I, I, I got a feeling you'd, you'd agree on that too. Oh yeah. TIG, TIG definitely is the tap your head, rub your belly, you know, you got your foot going on. So, I mean, you, you kind of need that, that rhythm and that the rhythm, seat time, yeah. you know, it's a lot easier than, or harder than just point and shoot like on a MIG. Uh, but but I, I enjoy it. I love that. You know, it's like the third pedal on a car. You don't need it. You could have an automatic. But I love the fact that I'm doing more things and coordinating all that stuff and heel toe. Same thing for me with TIG. And of course, you can get typically a lot more control over the weld, the weld pool, the depth, you know, everything. Because uh, it's not just, you know, pull the trigger. You've got your pedal there and you can really dial in. You can get every bead just laid the way you like it. So, yeah, for yeah. me, I think... Um, you know, I went through engineering school, but at night I took a lot of welding classes at the community college just because I loved it. And, you know, they trained me first in the stick and the MIG, you know, that was the progression. But uh, in college, you know, we we're building little formula race cars and tube chassis and thin wall stuff, chromoly. 
So, I mean, I immediately just jump right on the TIG and kind of never look back. It's always my, my go-to, even when you don't need to. You're like, well, that would be faster if you picked up a MIG. But I still enjoy just trying to make uh, even the crude projects, you know, a little bit more perfect and, and uh, challenging with, with the TIG. Yeah. Bob, what, what is the biggest difference for people out there, you know, when you're talking MIG and TIG? Uh, give us your opinion on, you know, the ins and outs, pros and cons of, of both those offerings. I'm going to add one more in there. We'll, we'll get stick. stick. Oh, yeah, stick. Stick, takes the stick, longest, pipe welders. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It takes the longest to learn. I mean, it takes a while to get your brain into muscle memory mode where you understand you're feeding an electrode in the same time you're trying to weave a pat, you know, the weld bead in. So it, it takes a lot. But once you got it, you got it. Now, MIG is the easiest by far, right? Because you pull the gun trigger and you can squirt metal. Uh, yeah, I awesome. really don't want to yeah, say like it that way. But, yeah, anybody yeah, can kind of spray paint, you know? And, and, <laughs> and I actually use that sometimes. Uh, we gave a, a class at a King of the Hammers where we taught women to weld. And I teach him, look, the flow of this is like painting. You can't move too fast. You know, you can't move too slow. Think about it that you're spreading paint with a paintbrush. Because people don't have an idea when they first start, well, how fast do I move? You jump all the way over to TIG. TIG is kind of tough. I got to teach somebody to hold a tungsten electrode about, oh, I don't know, 60 thousandths off the well pool. And to move and to add a filler rod, rub your belly, pack your head, do your stuff. It, it is, it's kind of difficult. So when we do things like schema, we let everybody weld. TIG is hard. Those guys put that jacket on. They think they're going to go in and TIG weld something. All of a sudden, they are humbled by what happens. Because first of all, they got to stick out a half inch long. And with TIG, that's death. So it's kind of tough. This is practice. So the old joke is, how do you get to Carnegie Hall? Only the best of the best get to Carnegie Hall. How do they get there? Practice, practice, practice. And that's what welding is. How do you start people? Because I've, I've taught a lot of people uh, you know, how to TIG. And what I say is just don't even put the, the uh, filler rod in there. Just have your TIG on a plate, right? And and just play with your foot and, and understand the depth and the penetration and then just understand the movement across, you know, this panel or plate uh, with just the torch and the heat, you know, and just control that pedal until you've got, you know, you're stringing kind of welds without filler. Uh, and then slowly you can kind of add in that second hand and try to start to drop in the, the filler there. But do you have a technique that seems to really gravitate and work with people? Yeah, that that's pretty much exactly it. But I have to throw a hooker in here on you. This is this is the crazy one. I'm going to take you to Oxy Fuel. I'm going to let you weld steel with a flame, with an Oxy Fuel torch. Back in the old day, that's the way they taught us. And why? Your brain is not afraid of a flame. Your brain knows what a flame is. Your brain is kind of crazy when you first see an arc. You know, you see a 10,000 degree arc in front of your face, your brain is going, oh my God. So what they would teach us is oxyfuel. Teach us how to weld, not cut, I'm saying weld. And that 
teaches you heat flow. It teaches you travel speed. You can't move until you see a well-being. All right? And you're sitting there with your little old torch, and you're going on this piece of metal to town. Right? Pretty soon she turns red. Pretty soon she's bright orange. And then all of a sudden, the magic mirror appears, that molten pool. And you go to move her. She goes, uh-uh. I'm not hot enough yet. And you lose it. So then you go back and you kind of catch it. And then you get her hot again and you move her. And it, and, and pretty soon you start to get it. And if I teach you that, you will instantly know TIG. Because it uses all of the same stuff. You never touch the flame to the molten metal with an oxy fuel torch. So if I teach you TIG, you already know nothing. Stick the tungsten in there. You know, I know not to do that, but I still do. Yeah, you know, right. anyway. yeah man. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but you were right. You're talking about that puddle, that mirrored puddle. And once you start playing with that and, and getting it to work with you, right, because all those things are, are very symbiotic in what, it, what you're doing, um, it is weird to watch that watch that metal get drawn into that puddle as you're, as you're moving it. How it just goes, you know, and just drinks it up. And all of a sudden it starts making a lot more sense, but it's not till that moment where you, you know, you get the right temperature and the right flow and you're throttling in, you know, that metal that, that, that it happens. How, how do people best get to that point, Bob? What's some of the things that they can do? What are they looking for? Where are they holding the, you know, the actual rod compared to the, you know, the torch. Uh, give us some of those those things that that might help somebody listening right now uh, to try to tackle it. You have to keep the tungsten close. You don't want a big wide arc because that's going to overheat your part and it's going to make a mess. You want to keep that arc real tight. And you do that by keeping it fairly close. Fairly close. Right. Now, it's also your foot control. Don't give it too much yep. current. So you're watching this well pool. It's up to you to determine, okay, it's time to move, right? And let's say that in the case of steels and stainless steels, you're going to see that she'll go mirror. In steel, stainless steel, you're going to see probably the dancing lady. She's tough to point out to you sometimes, and people don't really know what to look at in an arc. They're watching the tungsten. You're not supposed to watch the tungsten. What you want to watch is the well pool. And there will be a little silicon bead. And it's a little little uh, contaminants that coming out of the material, maybe a little bit from the surface of the plate, but she's a little silicon bead. She'll start to move, and you'll see her on top. And they call her the dancing lady. It's moving fast. It means you're a little too hot. Something's going to happen. She's moving real slow, a little too cool. All the pipe welders know this. So you got to watch that well pool. You have to weld enough that you know that she's going to either fall out the bottom, burn holes in your boots and your socks, or you're okay. Now, if she gets narrow, then you know you're not hot enough. There's a lot of visuals. And again, sometimes you need to help or somebody who's experienced to sit behind you and just talk to you in the back of your helmet. Hey. Yeah, that, that that is pretty handy. Um, just to have that little knowledge in your background, because you know you're you're thinking about too many things, and so you're you're visualizing what your foot is doing down there, and you know, all, and then you know the guy behind you is like, "Dummy, your torch is too far away." Oh, geez, you know, I was looking right, over right. here. You know, so having a little bit of word of wisdom in your ear is handy. But that's where, I, yeah, I was saying before. Uh, you know, at least I found it for most people. 
quit with the filler rod. Just get that puddle moving, like you said, as if you had, you know, the acetylene torch. Uh, just start the bead, you know, get it forming, you know, let off and on with your foot and you can see it grow. You know, you can see it go through the weld, like you said. Uh, so just learn the heat with your foot and then start to move that weld pool uh, in a nice consistent fashion and once you've got those two motions down you can try to get that that third one in there now now bob I, if i tell my wife i'm i'm watching or looking for the dance lady in my garage <laughs> it's it's going to be a complete different conversation than what i was hoping for um but it, can you can you do us a favor can you you kind of um you know you, you look at that and you know i'm trying to think of somebody that's that's out there trying to you know, first start up, um, you know, TIG welding. Um, what are the best steps for for these type people to to sort of learn and, and practice, you know, compared to somebody who, you know, has, has done it for a number of years and it's a lot of muscle memory? How do they how do they get to that point? Just practice, practice and practice? Practice, 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 but pick something that's not difficult to weld. That's one of the first things to do. You know, don't set up obstacles for yourself. If you want to learn to TIG well, get a piece of 316s or a piece of 18 and start there because that's relatively easy. You can be a little hot and get away with it, but there's people out there that'll be trying to jump right to body panels. Well, right? now, what about, you know, before we run out of time because it's, it's coming quickly, give us the, the kids these days don't realize how easy they got it with these new machines and equipment because there's, there's wavelength you can control, there's... You know, th there's actual timers that are built into the machine that can help you, you know, make the, the perfect bead. There's a lot of things out there technologically that we didn't have just a number of years ago that really helps itself to, to you know, getting a handle on this welding thing. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with that, but I have to take you somewhere until I give you the basics. All those features may not help you. All right. It just it's it's may not be there. Uh, you have to know the heat control and heat flow. And that's just practice and practice on something heavy. So it's easy for you. And again, you just run beads. When you learn to stick well the first time, your instructor comes over and he hands you a handful of electrodes. And he makes you do stringer beads on a piece of square plate, right? So you take a piece of quarter and you turn it into something one inch thick just by laying beads on it. So with TIG, you're not going to do it that way, but you still need time with the torch. Because you've got to coordinate if you're using a foot control, your distances. You, you've got all these things going on and you just got to learn to manage it. You didn't jump from not driving into a, a, a funny car and go down a drag strip. You know, you started with what? <laughs> Some low class, right? Well, that's exactly what I did, but we don't talk about that. Yeah, that yeah, right. <laughs> so uh, yeah. you got to start and you got to practice. There's no, there's, you can't skip that. Good as the machines are, you can't skip it. Yeah, and one of, the, one of the things I see a lot of people do too is, you know, we talked about keeping the torch nice and tight to the, to the weld pool. Uh, but your torch angle can start to get sloppy. So you're trying to stay, you know, fairly straight up and down for the most part. Uh, and what you're doing there, and Bob, you can jump in too, at least for, in my mind, a lot of it is you've got the cup, right? That little ceramic cup surrounding it. It's actually blocking a lot of heat. 
know, that heat is going down into the weld. Well, if you start to tip a little bit, your cup opens up. And if you try to put your filler in there, especially with aluminum, uh, you can throw heat at your filler rod and the, you know, the end of the filler rod will melt before it gets into the pool. Uh, so I can see a lot of folks, you know, not keeping it tight, not keeping the, the shield gas where it should be and not kind of hiding the filler rod, especially when you get into aluminum, hiding that filler rod a little behind or at least outside that, you know, that heat zone while they're trying to drop the rod and, and put the filler in there. Just like, what? I can't get in the damn pool, you know? Hey, Kevin, you know something that helps with that for me anyway is a glass, you know, that coupler, the glass couplers they have nowadays where you could see into the bubble a little bit. It, it makes it a little bit easier. And I, I'll take every advantage I can get, but sometimes that helps a little bit, uh, obviously, to see a little bit better. But you're right, that distance and that angle uh, is crucial. Now, Bob, are you pushing or are you pulling? With TIG, you are always aiming the tungsten in the direction of travel. All right, so you're you're pushing that. You never pull pig. It's it's just not done. You want to melt in front of you, but you have to remember one basic thing again. The tungsten is the direction of where the current and how the current's flowing. So if you have it straight up and down to the workpiece, perpendicular, that's your best penetration. As you start to rock it over, right to a forty-five degree, you have cut your penetration about in half. Again, sometimes to your benefit, sometimes not. I made this point to a friend of mine, Willie B., one day in his garage, and he took offense <laughs> to it because I poked him in the chest. And he looked at me and says, I don't like that. And I'm, saying, I'm trying to make a point. The most pressure, the most penetration is straight on. So if you want to get through the part, you don't want to rock that torch way over. And again, it shrouds the well pool in a little bit. But you're not supposed to be putting the filler rod right into where the tungsten is. You put it on the top edge of the well pool or the bottom edge of the well pool, not in line with the tungsten, because that will melt it. It'll melt your filler before you get it in there. Right, Number right. two is you might be using too small of a filler rod. You need to have the right size filler and the right size tungsten for the current you're using. And you'll find a lot of guys who just start welding don't have those relationships yet. Low current, I want a 116th or smaller, 040 tungsten. I'm going to get up to a certain higher current, do 18, I'm going to go to a 332. I'm doing half-inch plate, I'm going to jump to a 18 tungsten, and off I go. But aluminum is a whole nother story. Aluminum's tough. That's a tough thing to teach. Even if you are good at DC TIG, you first do aluminum, he dances man yeah i like i like the aluminum we'll have to get you back on and talk a little bit more about that bob because there's a lot of folks that really want to do uh good aluminum tig uh and they find it very challenging uh now once i've kind of gotten over a couple of those hurdles and as i mentioned you know to me i think just uh hiding that that the tungsten out a little bit sorry not the tungsten but my filler rod so I, it doesn't drop the bead you know down prematurely uh was huge uh, and then the way the, you know, if you got two plates butted up next to each other and you start to throw a weld at it, they want to melt and separate it because the, I guess <laughs> the surface tension of the aluminum really wants that big bead. So it's got to pull material from somewhere. So yeah, getting that first connection pool in there is tricky. So 
but, but I like that challenge, man. I think it's fun. We'll have to get you back on soon and, and talk more God, about this some of that. this went by so fast, man. Yeah, just I know. I know we could have them on for like six hours straight, and we'd still have to, you know, bring them back for another session. Exactly. Take notes, y'all. Take notes. Hey, Bob, what welders do you recommend as our final question out there? What's a, a good resource for people? Well, I work for ESOB. I said 40 years, but all manufacturers make pretty good equipment. Some are a little better for other things. But I mean, I'm an ESOP guy. I, I can't tell you that every now and then I fall back to a Miller. Very first machine I ever owned was a Lincoln. I've, I've tasted it all. I've traveled through uh, Japan, <laughs> Poland, England, Sweden. I've welded all over with all kinds of machines. That was my job. I was a test welder. So I don't know. <laughs> I'm an Esob guy. All right. My name hear, is man. Bobby Saab. Bobby Saab. <laughs> Bobby Saab, indeed. Well, I will jump on what you mentioned earlier about, um, especially guys that want to get into MIG. You know, for the first time, that's going to be their one and only welder. Everybody kind of wants to go in as cheap as they can. I don't think you got to spend a million bucks, but as you said, I think you got to get a decent machine and you got to get a decent size and just get the gas. Because uh, you will use it. And it's one of those things that you spend a couple hundred dollars more on that MIG. And it's going to be a 30-year machine. You'll have it for your entire life. Uh, so you'll kick yourself if you buy the cheap little too small unit. Uh, and then that's what you're stuck with forever. You know, obviously you can trade up. But just go ahead and get a decent MIG machine. Now, TIG, that can, that can really run you up there in some high dollars if you're not careful. So you want to kind of smartly position yourself. But yeah. Get yourself something good, and, and you'll enjoy it for a long time. Yes, indeed. All right, man. Always a pleasure. Don't forget about our show. It airs weekends on Motor Trend Network. Check your local listings. Also available now on Motor Trend Plus, which is streaming. It's a great resource to find us. Uh, thanks to our guest, Bob Bisky, the man, the myth, the legend. He's welded everywhere, everything. Uh, my man, Kevin Bird. I am Willie B., our producer, skipping executive producer, Bob Ecker. And don't forget to check out our website, twoguysgarage.com, and share your thoughts with us. We're everywhere on social, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, at Two Guys Garage. Uh, Two Guys Garage podcast is copyright 2022, Brenton Productions Incorporated, all rights reserved. Awesome, man. Bob, it was great seeing you, great hearing from you. Um, it makes me want to go out to the garage tonight, do a little TIG welding since I'm finally back to my my shop and my home. Um, I'm excited to, uh, to dust it off, my friend. What are you talking about? I was TIG welding the whole time we were talking. <laughs> Didn't you hear Bob the bacon? Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Bob, man. Awesome to see you. Uh, we can see him and we can hear him. So, man, great. I can't wait to catch you in person sometime, somewhere, uh, and pick up more awesome skills. There you go, man. And miss you a SEMA this year. All right, oh, we'll terrible. Catch... Made me ill. <laughs> I think we'll I cheated you at a SEMA. That was bad. Uh, and my car was there, man. I, I know. I saw it. Uh, it's something else. All right, man. We'll catch you all in the next Two Guys Garage podcast. See you guys. Two Guys Garage podcast is a production of Britain Productions. For more episodes, visit iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.